This is Ken Forrester, Executive Director at Momenta. Welcome to our Digital Thread Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momenta, they are deep industry operators. We hope you find these podcasts informative, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to episode 148 of our Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. Today, I'm pleased to host John Candish. John has been developing and scaling connectivity companies for over 25 years. Coming out of early 3G wireless services work at Nortel, John founded Extempus, a company focused on enabling messaging services between mobile operators. He subsequently sold this to cable and wireless, scaling the digital interconnect business across subsequent owners, Sybase, SAP, and now Cinch. John, welcome to our Digital Thread podcast. Thank you, Ken, um, and thanks for the invitation. I'm looking forward to the discussion. As uh, as well, and we've had some pretty good early discussions going into this a little bit. I love this idea that you've created and followed a business over now four different companies. So there's a great digital trajectory, if you will, uh, a theme, if you will, that will follow. But I always like to start this right up front by asking, what would you consider to be your digital thread? In other words, the one or more thematic threads that defined your digital industry journey. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I think it's really about making sure that dial tone is available for services and then scaling that up globally for those services. So I guess for a phone call, everybody knows what what dial tone is and it's what you need in order to initiate and and access the, the phone service. And I've really been doing that for person to person communication, for digitally connected devices and for other multimedia services. I started out designing credit card terminals, a job I was at whilst at university. And that was really a connected device. And although that was some time before the Internet of Things became a term, we were still concerned and focused on security, making the best use of bandwidth and ensuring the resilience of the connection. So in that sense, nothing's changed. And then I've gone on to do that in the area of mobile data, for messaging, for multimedia and voice services, and latterly for connected things and devices. I like your uh, your analogy about uh, the connected uh, credit card terminals. Is uh, when we started Momenta back in gosh 2012 now, so almost a decade. We did it with the subtitle: "The IoT is not new or novel." And the idea was that, of course, there are uh, patterns uh, of connectivity that you can look at, going from industrial automation, telemetry, machine RFID, machine on and on, that ultimately culminate in IoT. One of those clearly is what came out of the original kind of telco connectivity, right, where a lot of your module companies, Telet, Gamalto, et cetera, came up during that time about remote connectivity. So I love your idea about the dial tone, and actually that's probably even a great subtitle for for this podcast. So after formative work at Nortel, you founded Extempus in 2000. What problem did you originally set out to solve and for whom? I think originally we we probably set out to to try and solve too many problems um, for too many people, but I guess that's uh, perhaps a separate story in itself. But our original aim was to be the Babelfish. I don't know if you're familiar with with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. 
Of um, course, yeah. A, a wacky novel. And in that, there was the Babelfish. And if you put a Babelfish in your ear, it would translate any language so you could speak and, and interact with any language. And we were really trying to be the Babelfish in the wireless world, enabling any internet service, any brand to put the services they had on the internet onto wireless devices. And back in, in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, mobile phones were very different from the kind of smart devices we have today. So we were trying to do that for banks, for entertainment companies, for retail, for enterprise messaging, and enable that connectivity to be rendered appropriate for any wireless device. Pretty soon, we found that was really trying to do too much um, too soon. And we realized we had to focus on, on something uh, as an initial problem to solve and then scale that up and then look to go on and, and solve other problems. So we ended up focusing on enabling messaging and making uh, mobile messaging work globally. So people were, were quite used to being able to message between subscribers on the same network and probably within the same country. But you take that globally and you encounter problems of interconnectivity, the, the billing, commercial relationships, and the different formats and technologies. So we, we ended up building a hub that sat between the networks and enabling seamless communication with messaging on a global basis between operators. Now, you, you sold the company to Cable and Wireless in 2004, spinning it, this up into a new business line, providing mobile operator data and our connectivity. So you can certainly see the, the lineage there, if you will. And then four years later, I love this, you engineered a sale of that new business line to Sybase, where your platform provided global interconnectivity for 2 billion plus con connected suppliers. What were your key learnings scaling up this business so quickly, especially through various owners? I guess perhaps the first key learning was that when you sell a business to a much larger company, the story is certainly not over. In fact, in many ways, it's just begun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I guess probably one of the main learnings and most important things that we did was working out how to fit into the larger organization. So it's important to keep our, our, the uniqueness of our service offering um, and keep behaving uh, in, like a startup in terms of, of keeping creative and keeping the services relevant. But at the same time, uh, we really learned the importance of, of fitting in to the, the wider process of the organization, particularly around, around support and operations, as that's really key to, to scaling the service, making it reliable, keeping the dial tone on, and enabling to build the business from having 15 wireless operators connected up to having hundreds of wireless operators connected. And as you said, billions of, of subscribers behind that. Also, in terms of the go-to-market, the processes and the complexity of going to market in a much larger organization are much more burdensome, but obviously uh, the kind of scale that offers has great benefits. But we had a lot of learnings about how to, how to make our product uh, fit in with the sales process of those larger organizations, both at Cable and Wireless and Sybase, and uh, be something in the sales guy's sales bag that they were able to sell easily and, and fitted well with the rest of, of the products that they're offering. 
So we'll call that phase one of your scale story, move, moving up to uh, 2 billion connected subscribers. Now, we know SAP acquired Sybase in 2013. So yet again, you scaled this business up to create SAP's digital interconnect business, which was providing end-to-end connectivity for SAP's customers and their IoT devices in over 180 countries. So scale up phase two. You also took on what I consider a great title, Chief Expert of Internet of Things. What were some of your key use cases and wins at SAP at the time? Yeah, so I, I, I guess to, to go back to the, the start of that story at SAP, we were already connecting people and devices for messaging services and really saw a, a, an opportunity to build that out to, to bridge the gap between SAP's cloud services and applications for IoT and the end devices. And if you like, take the cloud service all the way down to the device, along with the security that was inherently part of that. And that enabled to us to address quite a few key markets. Um, some of the notable ones were automotive. We were working with an automotive manufacturer in, in North America who were developing performance and predictive maintenance um, systems on, on cars. And they needed a, a connectivity which would really get guarantee the best connectivity possible and anywhere the vehicle is. So a uh, connectivity on a single network will only offer the coverage of that network. And the reason this uh, company chose our service was we were able to offer seamless connectivity across all of the networks in the US and enable the other devices to roam between those in real time. And also because our, our service was hosted in the cloud, truly elastic, and able to scale in real time as, as the users required, and also provide native connectivity to the customer's uh, own cloud services where they were collecting, analyzing, and, and drawing insights from the data, we were able to offer a much more secure and efficient form of connectivity for them. Another example would be a, a packaging and logistics company. And they needed uh, to connect their, their packaging systems to ensure quality and performance and make sure that they had the right supply of uh, the raw materials that they needed for that process. They also needed to ensure that they could track high value packages as they were shipped around the world. And really there again, the neutrality of our service offering and ability to roam and connect on different wireless networks anywhere in the world, but manage all of that connectivity from a single dashboard and, and with a single API was crucial to that customer. Perhaps one of the other interesting examples where we combined, in fact, connected devices with connected people was for with a, a proof of concept we ran at a, a major airport. And there they were wanting to increase the efficiency of aircraft turnaround. So every minute that an aircraft spends on the ground at the airport, the, the aircraft itself is, is not being used for, for transportation. And it's also consuming resources at the airport. Just shaving a few minutes off a, off a turnaround can be quite significant in, in that industry. And there it's about not just coordinating the things, the steps, the baggage systems, the aircraft itself, but also the people that are involved in, in the turnaround. So the project there was to combine connected things and the information from those 
to wearable devices, so smart watches, for example, that could enable the staff involved in coordinating the turnaround to, to make sure that they're in the right place, they've got the right information they need to make the best decisions, to, to make the whole process run smoothly and get the passengers onto the aircraft and allow it to take off as quickly as possible. What uh, what great use cases and really very much exemplary of the value of connecting devices, connecting people, the Internet of Things, as we often like to call it. Again, love the title, Chief Expert Internet of Things. Let me ask you to keep that hat on for a second uh, relative to SAP, and this is probably more of a sidebar question, but many will know that we sold Plat1. It was one of our earliest portfolio companies to, to SAP in 2015. That ultimately became at least one of the basis for your or for SAP's Leonardo IoT platform. I remember sitting across the table with the head of M&A at the time at SAP, and the thesis we were using to really support the deal was that the value of connected devices would ultimately rise to those who held the business rules. So you think about Salesforce for CRM as an example, or of course SAP for the core ERP. Allowing those companies to better process that those business rules with better data, faster data, more granular information. I'm curious, to what degree do you think that this value was realized, at least over the time you were with SAP? Yes, I think that's certainly right that the value is when the information has, has been gathered and can be made use of in those CRM or ERP systems. So looking at the, the automotive manufacturer we were working with, the, the value comes from those deep insights they get from being able to monitor all of the cars and, and look at the information in the round and really only then pull out the, the, the key insights that they need to improve uh, the operation of the vehicles. And again, going back to that um, airport example, it was really only by monitoring many flight turnarounds and looking at those in, in their, their control systems that they were able to determine what improvements they could make to the operation and really then get the, the return in value on, on, on the investment they'd made. So I think that's very true. I think the key challenge is the ecosystem. And by that, everything from the hardware, the sensor types, the connectivity, the systems integrators who are part of that ecosystem, pulling the hardware and software uh, together and connecting to, to SAP's cloud services and applications for IoT. And it's really the ecosystems, I think, across this, this space that need to evolve much further to make it much easier to, to implement IoT deployments and keep them current uh, and, and avoid people being locked into particular hardware configurations or having to re-engineer things when you get the next version of a, of a product or, or a process. So that I think really- yeah, In some sense- Oh, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say that, that that's where I see that the challenge very much is is still in, in building the ecosystems to support all of this and allow the CRM and ERP systems to, to collect the data they need. Yeah, no, I think you've really hit it on the head. And in some sense, it is 
that the dynamics of, uh, I'll call it IT versus OT, enterprise IT, some sense winner take all, there's only a handful of companies that will drive like Salesforce for CRM or SAP for ERP. But when you hit the OT side, it's it's pretty much aligned across a specific, usually local companies like Siemens or ABB or Rockwell, et cetera, that are geographic. Then you've got a whole bunch of technology vendors, and then you've got a, a number of SIs that usually are very domain focused. And so it, it is in some sense very decentralized and, and very much the antithesis of winner take all, just because yeah. you've got the local. And, and so you were at that intersection point between the two of them. And especially where in your SAP hat, I could see where you'd look down on the OT system, at least southbound, and uh, and see how you know, disintegrated it is, right, uh, in that regard. And, and in some sense, you're right, it hasn't changed that much. And I'm not sure we'll see the day that there'll be the equivalent of, of, of enterprise IT, probably with the exception of the hyperscalers and how, much, how they're moving down now, right? And they are providing some level of at least ecosystem alignment, right? You're an AWS shop or you're an Azure shop or Google Cloud, et cetera. So it's still an interesting dichotomy in, in that regard. So speaking of ecosystem, and we'll call this scale-up phase three, you've now followed the sale of this digital interconnect business a record fourth time to Cinch, a global provider of mobile engagement services. Now, it's interesting. Um, I could not have told you who Cinch was probably a month or two ago, but as I got to know you a little bit, I began to see them not only with respect to your business, but all over the press in terms of other acquisitions as well. So I'm sure there's an interesting story, but given they acquired your SAP Digital Interconnect business in December 2020 and now clearly have done others, what's uh, what's next for your Digital Interconnect business? Yes, the Cinch provide a, a great opportunity for the the former SAP Digital Interconnect business to to scale up further and be part of an organisation that, in fact, eight out of ten of the largest tech companies uh, are using for their consumer engagement, and and Cinch is. Uh, growing both organically and through acquisition to enable consumer interaction over virtually any possible channel. So for instance, Facebook Messenger, RCS, WhatsApp, Viber, Instagram, voice and video. There's really a huge uh, market opportunity there to be enabling immediate, relevant and, and personal communication with organizations, customers, and it's a really exciting journey as this company is expanding, both, as I said, organically and also through acquisitions, where there is, is new technology that is um, going to further build upon Cinch's ability to, to help enterprises reach their subscribers. They're acquiring new technologies where an organization is able to increase their geographical reach. They're, they're doing the same. So, for instance, acquiring uh, a company, Wavy, in Brazil, who are leaders in, in, in that space, in, in that particular geography. And as we go on that journey, um, using the economies of scale as these companies become part of Cinch to, to increase the overall value of the offer. And, and at Cinch, I've got the, the really exciting opportunity to be part of uh, the integration process of these acquisitions as they're being acquired, and the optimization of our overall product offering as we bring all of these different technologies and, and platforms together. So it's a, it's a really exciting place to be at the moment. 
Yeah, I, I can see that. And, and getting the scale of direct to consumer, if you will, is really the next step up to scaling what you've primarily done in B2B in the past. And and in some sense, it truly is a very fitting phase three of your, your scale story. So let's go back now. The 21 years since you created Extempus, uh, the roots of which you continue to scale today. What do you think you called right in the early version of that company? And, and probably what has surprised you conversely? So I think firstly, back in 1999, we saw mobile as being a huge opportunity. I think perhaps to some extent, we underestimated the size of that opportunity and the impact that um, mobile technology has had on, on society and the world. We, I think, were right in seeing the key value of enabling mobile services across networks globally and being able to help enterprises engage with mobile networks, the hundreds of mobile networks across the world as one. And as we do now at Singe through a single API, a single gateway into accessing all of those networks. And uh, the real value of, of being that bridge between enterprises, consumers, and the wireless networks and devices. In terms of think, in terms of what surprised us, I think we, we were a few years too early Back at the beginning of, of the 2000s, the development of mobile data and the handsets took um, a number of years longer than we expected to develop. But when it happened with, with the arrival of the iPhone and Android, then it exploded much faster than perhaps anybody had expected. SMS, I think, is, is perhaps the surprise that SMS is still going strong, has been growing continually. Over, over the last 10 years. And I think if you'd asked us back in 2000, we would have said that SMS is probably going to hit peak usage before 2010, and, and then we'll need to be on to the next thing. And I think perhaps something else that surprised us is the growth of all these other ways of messaging. So SMS has continued to grow, but alongside it, we've got Facebook Messenger, Snapchat, Instagram, Viber, and so many other rich ways of communicating. And I don't think anybody could have could have imagined that 20 years ago. <laughs> Pushing this learning further, what trends are you watching today relative to digital interconnectivity? So I, th I think probably the most interesting area is connectivity between different platforms and services, technologies and companies that are providing the glue to build ecosystems. So I guess taking Cinch as an example right now, Cinch is enabling communications across all of those different channels. So you might start a, a conversation on Instagram, then follow up the interaction on SMS and perhaps make a, a voice call to a call center. And they're providing the glue to maintain the context of that interaction across all of those different services. Looking beyond messaging and, and consumer interaction, I think there's a, a, a really interesting space to watch is going to be that interoperability between uh, devices and services to build ecosystems around Industry 4.0 and around the digitalization of companies and bringing all that, that disparate data together and managing it in a way that is, is useful, but also allows you to connect new technologies, different vendors, and dif different sources of, of the, the information without needing to continually build everything from the ground up all over again. 
So perhaps your initial vision of, at least as I pronounce it, the babblefish, (laughs) is uh, is finally coming to pass? Yes, I I think it is. It's it's, we're over 20 years on, and uh, the size and complexity of the task has got much, much bigger. But I think the the kind of solutions that, that people are coming up with are also much bigger. And there's some really rich ecosystems evolving out there and some really interesting companies, new startups are getting involved in solving some of those problems. Good timing on the interesting companies or interesting startups that we're digital industry investors via our venture capital focus. What, what interesting startups are you seeing in the space? So seeing quite a few interesting startups who are really helping provide the glue to build and hold ecosystems together. So companies like Brightlight and and Dashboard and Sensei, who are all involved in the business of enabling information to be collected from devices and sensors and the real world, analyzed and interpreted in real time. And that's across different industries from heavy manufacturing through to oil and gas, healthcare, and really a key aspect of what they're doing, and I think this is really important, is enabling an open interface to uh, the devices and sensors and an open interface for what happens to the data and insights afterwards. It's really crucial now in ecosystems that they're open and people aren't having to commit to one way of doing things when technology is is changing so rapidly. And they're able to ensure that that whatever systems and services they're building on these platforms are are future-proofed and able to evolve with changing landscapes and, and, and technologies. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch those spaces and and see the value of these companies that enable, as I said, the ecosystems to be built and and really held together, even though it's quite a dynamic situation with, as I said, new technologies, devices, and, and just the sheer pace of evolution in this space. So Bright Light Dashboard, and we appreciate Sensei as they are one of our portfolio companies. And we actually uh, interviewed Simon Campa. I think it was podcast 141, so not that long ago there as well. There's another I would add just for you, and that, that is the former Kepware guys have spun up a new company, and they're calling it Industrial Data Ops. So there's another one to, to take a look at as, as well. So final question I always like to ask is, where do you find your, your personal inspiration? So I think to really talking to people, and often that's outside of, of the formal meetings and when you've you know sat down with a particular agenda, came out of a conversation with some friends outside of the mobile industry back in 1999, just thinking about what the possibilities were for mobile in the future. On that journey through Extemp, as I said, we started out trying to focus on far too much and do everything. But that was an important part of our our journey, and it was only through getting to know the mobile operators as part of that process that we understood the the basic challenges that they had around enabling messaging interoperability around the world and enabling the commercial relationships that are necessary to support that. And if we hadn't had those conversations, we wouldn't have ended up focusing on the the technology and the offering that we eventually successfully built and, 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 and sold the business upon. And then moving on to to Sybase, I guess when I was at Cable and Wireless, it was through knowing people in the industry and actually our conversation in a London pub with somebody who was at Sybase 
and understanding what they were had, had set out to do around building a, a mobile connectivity ecosystem and really taking that to the next level in terms of connecting enterprises and mobile operators together. And it was really out of that conversation that the acquisition of, of our business group into Sybase uh, happened. And then again, with IoT, it was informal conversations and just being curious about what was happening in the rest of SAP and getting to understand some of the, some of the challenges teams were facing there around connectivity and reducing the time from, from sale to deployment of their IoT services and, and reducing the, the complexity around the connectivity for IoT that the, the IoT connectivity business um, came to be. And, and all of those were around sharing ideas and I think most importantly, listening to other people and, and getting their opinions. You've used the term ecosystem quite a bit in, in this discussion, and it strikes me that every ecosystem needs effectively a, a catalyst and usually lots of connectors to be able to function properly. And I would uh, suggest that you've gone from simply being a participant in some of these earlier conversations to being the catalyst in some cases, and clearly being a, a so probably be a very fitting that you, you run a big business that's called digital interconnection. John, thank you for spending this time with us today. Uh, thank you. Thank you um, for the invitation. I've really uh, enjoyed reflecting on, goodness, so I must be saying the past 20 years or so. That's, that's <laughs> quite some time that's gone by there. Thank you. Yeah, it's scary when you start to measure your experience in decades, isn't it? <laughs> I'm feeling old now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. So this has been John Candish. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for our next Momenta Digital Thread podcast. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Thread podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.